good evening. It is a great privilege to introduce Rabbi Manis, an international author, counsellor, lecturer and philosopher. But it is counsellor that I would like to highlight. My husband and I have been blessed to have known Rabbi Manis and in our life for almost 14 years. Everyone has something in their heart that they would like to share with a person they can trust to give their objective guidance, a new perspective. Sometimes we can't see and are searching for a way out. Rabbi Manis offers a unique, fresh, clean, clear perspective and guidance without the fluff, without the judgment, with absolute privacy and discretion for a way through to the light that is always at the top of the tunnel. No trouble is too trivial or too huge. He has given us life-changing advice and we are two of thousands of people. It is that gift we wanted to give our friends here in Monaco this weekend. So please, Rabbi Manis is looking forward to receiving you individually over this weekend. Pop your name over to Rabbi Matasoff, who will coordinate a private meeting. It's a precious, precious opportunity not to be missed. Please welcome Rabbi Manis Friedman. Thank you. It was worth coming just for that. So uh, let's get right to the point. Love is very bad. Most marriages suffer from love. Because in our world today, Love has become an idol, a false god. We worship it, we bow to it, we trust in it, we kill for it, we die for it. It's, it's the god of the modern world. And like all false gods, it's always disappointing. Talking to teenagers, Love is the biggest topic. It's the only topic. But it's so misapplied, it is so abused, that we end up suffering from it. For example, is love important? Is that a correct statement? Love is very important. Correct? True? The most important? The most important thing in life? For teenagers, yes. But it's not correct. It's not correct to say that love is important. Just like it's not correct to say that the icing on the cake is important. It's beautiful, it's delicious. Can't call it important. So it works like this. If, if love is important like people think it is. So if I love you, you are the most important person in the world. When I stop loving you, <laughs> you're garbage. That can't be. That can't be, it's too arrogant. My love makes you important. Terribly arrogant. It also can't be that your value is based on my feelings. So it works like this. When someone is important in your life, you should love them. If you don't love them, they're still important. If someone is not important in your life and you love them very, very much, they're still not important. 
So love is the pleasure that enhances a relationship. Love is not a relationship in itself. Loving somebody doesn't mean that you have a relationship. I published this book, The Joy of Intimacy, very recently, because in talking to people for the last 45 years, you get used to hearing people who have problems, differences of opinion, differences in personality, and they fight, and they argue, and they don't like each other. You get used to it. But recently, speaking to happily married couples, you hear from either the husband or the wife that although the marriage is fine, no complaints, it's a successful marriage, but he or she or both feel alone in the world. That's not acceptable. The first thing that marriage should do is make sure that you are never alone in the world. <clears throat> so if married couples are feeling alone, there's something very fundamental that is missing in our marriages, and it's called intimacy. So let's talk about that and how funny it is that human beings actually think that they can be good at marriage. <laughs> it's the comedy of marriage because it is such a superhuman endeavor that for the average human being to think he or she can be married is like, it's funny. Where do we get this notion that we can actually do this? So if you're religious, you do it because you're told. Because God said, <clears throat> But what makes you think you can be good at it? So here's the first rule. If you don't have a sense of humor, live in a cave. <laughs> don't get married. Without a sense of humor, you cannot. It will not work. <clears throat> and the sense of humor is, I know I can't do this. I know I'm not good at this. Because there are a number of relationships that you cannot be good at. And all the talk and all the books and all the articles and all the advice columns on how to be a good husband is not only a waste of time, it makes you crazy. Because you're not a good husband. And you're not going to be a good husband. And all the articles and all the books and all the things that tell you how to be a good wife there is no such thing. Very much like being Jewish. Being Jewish is a strange thing. In other religions, you can be good at it. In Judaism, you can't be good at it. Did you ever hear a Jew say, I'm a good Jew? <laughs> Ask any Jew, are you a good Jew? Not like my grandfather. Not like my grandmother. Oh, they were. And what did your grandfather say when they asked him? not like my grandfather, we're never good at it. And the reason is because to be a good Jew is almost impossible. To be a good son or a good daughter, it's impossible. You can't, you can't please your parents, no matter what you do. It's never enough. To be a good wife, a good mother, these things are not possible. And whoever started this crazy notion of defining and measuring and judging good mother, bad mother, there's no such thing. So, being a mother, being a wife, being a daughter, being a Jew, you're not good at any of them. Being a husband, being a father, being a son, being a Jew, forget about it. That's the beauty of it. The beauty of these relationships is that it is not measured in good and bad. Pass or fail, that's for school, not for life. 
In life, you don't pass and you don't fail. You just live. So if you wake up in the morning and you want to be a Jew, good. You wake up in the morning and you want to be a mother, then you're a mother. Good mother. It doesn't work that way. The only time a mother is not good is if she regrets being a mother. The only time a Jew is not good is if he regrets being a Jew. And the same with the other relationships. So, to be married is not a project that you test yourself by where you can either be good at it or bad at it. You can just be at it. <laughs> you can be doing it. That's all you can do. And if you're doing it without regret, you're, you're as perfect as can be. But let's see some of the uh, issues that kind of confuse us and mess us up. The first thing is love. How many people in the last hundred years got married out of love? Not like Tevye in Anatevka, who didn't know what love was. Everybody gets married out of love. Are marriages better? <laughs> They're not better. They're much weaker. A man says, I love everything about my wife. And I'm a little confused because I just spoke to his wife and she wants a divorce. <laughs> so something is not fitting here, right? So why, if you love everything about your wife, why would she not be happy? So I asked him, it's nice that you love everything about your wife. Do you love her? He says, I love everything about her. Uh, that was not the question. The question is, do you love her? He says, what about her? I said, nothing about your wife, just her. He said, I don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. Most people would say that. What does that mean? If you take all the things away, what's left? So let me ask you a couple of questions. First of all, a man says to a woman, I love you because you're rich. I love you for your money. Is there anything wrong with that? She has money and he loves it. What, what, what's wrong with that? <laughs> he says, I want to marry you for your money. Anything wrong with that? Yes. Why, you marry people for their poverty? <laughs> ah. <clears throat> Two things are wrong. One is not true. Not true. I love you for your money? No. I just love the money. So, you know, drop the first half and just get to the point. I want to marry you for your money. No, you don't want to marry me. You want to marry the money. So if you're going to be honest, and you sound like you're honest, if you're going to be completely honest, just say, I want to marry your money. That's not going to go over big, but that's the price you pay for being, for being honest. The second problem, which is even worse, when a man says, I want to marry you for your money, he's actually saying, is there some way I could get the money without marrying you? Because <laughs> that would be perfect. No, no way? Okay, so I'll marry you. <laughs> but if I could find a way to get just the money, so that's why to say I want to marry you for your money is such an insult. I don't really want you at all. But if that's the only way to get to the money, I mean, it's the same like saying to God, uh, if I keep all your commandments, I'll get to heaven. Okay, I'll do it. In other words, if I could get to heaven without you, <laughs> that would be perfect. Yeah, but you're the boss. You have the keys to heaven, so I got to put up with you and your commandments. And 
It's so insulting. If I could have your love without you, wouldn't that be perfect? So everybody say, yeah, marry me for my money? That's disgusting. Okay, I'll marry you for love. That's nice. No, it's not. It's exactly the same thing. If you love me, that's what I want. Do you have to come along with it? So the first book I published in 1990, the title is Doesn't Anyone Blush Anymore? But that title, the publishers chose. The title I wanted, which they didn't accept, the title I wanted was, and it's a book on relationships, the title I wanted was Shut Up, I Love You. Because most problems in marriage can be summed up in, in that sentence. If love is everything, and we believe that it is, and I love you, what more do you want? I love you. You have to have an opinion. You have to have an, a personality. <laughs> Just shut up and let me love you, and we'll all be so happy. So why is love any better than money? Many times people say, marry someone for their money? What if they lose the money? Yeah, marry someone for love. What if she stops loving you? Same problem. The problem is money is a thing. And love is a thing. So if a guy says, I love everything about my wife, he's married to all those things. So if I married you for your money, I'm really married to the money. If I marry you for love, I'm married to the love. If I marry you for your looks, I'm married to your looks. If I married you for your family, I'm crazy. <laughs> if I married you for your mother, and I say, yeah, I love all of it. That's polygamy. You're married to many things, just not to her. First time I started doing marriage counseling in Minnesota, I was in early 20s, newly married. And this guy says to me, I'm getting divorced. I'm finished. I'm getting divorced. I don't need this. So being a yeshiva boy, you know, a wise guy, I said, Wait, so you don't need this. Why are you divorcing her? Just get rid of this. Try a little of that. But you're divorcing her. Why are you divorcing her? Now, obviously, when he said this, he meant her. But do you see the problem? To this man, his wife was a this, not a person. He married her for something, and that thing didn't turn out. So what does he want? What's he putting up with her for? He never married her. He married all the things. So if a man says, I love everything about my wife, she is going to be alone in the world. And she won't know how to complain because he's so good to her. That's when women say, I don't know if you're really there for me. And the husband says, what do you want? She says, I don't want anything, just are you there for me? He says, whatever you want. She says, I don't want anything. He says, so what are you complaining about? You just want to drive me crazy. So men get together and say, women just drive you crazy. Women get together and say, men just don't get it. And men are saying, get what? Just, just tell me, I'll do it, I'll give you, I'll make it. And the wife says, never mind. What's going on here? Now, if you had asked your grandmother when you were 18, what happens in the bedroom? You're 18, you're an adult, time to find out. What happens in the bedroom? What, what would your grandmother say? Nothing. He said, oh, come on, tell me, what happens? Nothing. 
and you think she doesn't want to tell you. She is telling you it's the correct answer. A bedroom is a place where you don't allow things. You love everything about your wife in the living room. In the bedroom, no things, nothing. It's just us. So the other thing that's killing marriages, in addition to love, is sex. Love and sex are the worst things for marriage. <laughs> I know for most people, love and sex is marriage. But what else is there? Marriage means love and sex. Sex with someone you love. Love, the sex, whatever it is. It's a combination of love and sex. They're killing marriages. Because the way sex has deteriorated since the 60s is that love, sex has become a thing like love. You have it, you do it, you're good at it. It's a thing. If you're busy with things, you're alone in the world. Because the, 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 the cure, the antidote to lone aloneness is to be merged with another person, not to be in love with another person. You can be in love with chocolate. You're still alone in the world. So let's understand what this merging is supposed to be. A man says, marry me. I can't live without you. Should she marry him or should she run away? <laughs> Come on, it's so romantic. I can't live without you. Huh? A comedian said, I, I don't trust men anymore. I had a boyfriend. And he said that if I ever left him, he would kill himself. So I left him. Men never do what they promise. <laughs> so when the guy said, if you ever leave me, I'll kill myself, he wasn't honest. If a man says, please marry me, I can't live without you, check it out. Say, I'm not marrying you, and see what happens. In most cases, it's a lie. Now imagine a man comes to a woman and says, please marry me. I can live without you. Will she marry him? Say, oh, an honest man? I'm marrying him. No, she's not going to marry him. You can live without me, so... Uh, go right ahead. So what should he say? A man should say to a woman what God said to us at Mount Sinai. You may not have heard this conversation <laughs> that we had with God, but it's true. God came to us and said, I am God. You know what that means? It means I have existed forever and I will exist forever. I am all-powerful, all-knowing, infinite, endless. I'm God. I can exist without you very well. But existing without you is not a life. To be alone, no matter how perfect your existence is, is for some strange reason not acceptable. There's no explanation. It's a mystery. This is like the mystique of marriage, not the comedy. Why do we feel a need to be connected to another person? So a man should say, please marry me. I exist perfectly without you. But what's the point? Where's my life? With you, I will have a life. Here's the new definition of marriage. Ah, well, it's the old definition, but people forgot. Under the chuppah, 
the couple should say to each other, I hereby choose you to be the one person in the world who can ruin my existence. Because <laughs> that's what you're going to do. When you get married, you destroy your own existence. You can't go when you want. You can't do what you want. You can't eat what you want. You have to consider another person's wisdom. You have to live with another person's foolishness. Your existence is just messed up. So why do we do it? We're making a deal. I will sacrifice my existence in exchange for a life. It's a good deal. But then two weeks later, we forgot. And we start complaining that our existence is not so comfortable like it used to be. So we should say it out loud at the chuppah. Make it clear. I know, I accept being of sound mind. <laughs> I take upon myself to sabotage my existence because in that way we will have a life. We will become one. That's the definition of intimacy. Intimacy means we're no longer two people. We have become one. You can't do that by sharing something, no matter what that thing is. And no matter how many things you share, it interferes. You're both interested in the love. So the love is the center, and you're both attracted to the love, not to each other. Sex is the center, you're both attracted to the sex, not to each other. So the grandmother is right. A bedroom should be a place where no thing is allowed. It's a place for him and her, and they are not things. So imagine when a couple have been intimate, or should have been intimate, and afterwards he asks her, or she asks him, so how was it? grandmother would get very upset. An it? You allowed an it into the bedroom? <laughs> That's not right. There are no, there's no it in a bedroom. There's no thing in a bedroom. There's just us. So ask the question correctly. How am I? <laughs> Is what you're really asking, not it. And if you're married, how am I? You're perfect. So how do we get past all things? Gemara says that there was a woman who uh, had such magnificent children, physically, spiritually, every way, that the sages were curious. It was unusual. So they came to the woman and they said, how do you have such magnificent children? She said, we are never intimate before one o'clock in the morning. And of course they said, that's your secret? What, what is that? In their village, there was activity that went on until one o'clock in the morning. Somebody was coming home late, an animal was being transferred, you hear a door open, close. After one o'clock, nothing happens. So there's not a chance that a sound from the outside will distract us from each other. So what kind of thing can come between you? Even, an, even a, a street sound. Anything that draws your attention ruins the intimacy. So intimacy is a, an experience where husband and wife are physically merged because there's nothing between them. Nothing is coming between them. That's, that's an ambitious ideal that we don't always achieve. But certainly if you have a television in the bedroom, 
it's going to be a problem. You can say, well, we'll turn it off. It doesn't go off. It stays on. It's a distraction. If you have a computer, if you have music, anything will ruin the intimacy. The objective is shut out the world, shut out everything, just be with each other. It's interesting how people say, if you take away everything, what's left? So I do, do I love her without anything? It's such a common experience. Your wife is out of town. You miss her. You miss her. It's not like, oh my God, who's going to do the dishes? No, you miss her. A husband is out of town, you miss him. Why? Because somebody has to take out the garbage. No, it's not about the garbage, it's about him. So when it comes to missing somebody, we know what it means, just him. I miss her. What about her? (laughs) Not about her. I miss her. She is not here. That's called the person. But then, as soon as they come home, all of a sudden it's about something. And that's normal because life is made up of things. But the bedroom, the bedroom has to be a no-thing zone. Has to be reserved strictly for him and her. And here's what it looks like when it comes out right. A much stronger word than love is the word mine. Be mine. Love is not an exclusive word. I love you, I love chocolate, I love my friends, I love my... You shouldn't have only one person in your whole life that you love. So love doesn't mean we are exclusively for each other. And I don't know where society picked up this notion. If a, bo- if a man and a woman love each other, they're not allowed to love anybody else. Who makes these laws? This girl said, I'm so angry at my boyfriend, he cheated on me. I said, no, he's cheating with you and with somebody else. (laughs) But where is there a law that says that if you have a boyfriend, he's not allowed? Who makes up these laws? We are more strict about a boyfriend than we are about a husband. If a boyfriend cheats on a girlfriend, he's an animal, a lowlife. He has to be killed. A husband cheats on his wife. We understand. How did we get this so backwards? So anyway, love does not make you exclusive. Love doesn't bond you. You just happen to share a common interest. And that's why if the love goes away, you don't know what the other person is doing in your house. Who invited you? I was married to the love, not to you. So, the word mine much more powerful. If you're mine, then you're not anybody else's. It sounds much more exclusive, much more bonded. Another word that is more powerful than love is home. And the most powerful sentence that I can... If I were to ask you, in, in... in your memory from your childhood on what is the most powerful sentence you've ever heard I'll tell you mine when the Israeli soldiers entered the big hall in the airport in Entebbe what did they say to the Jewish hostages Melech Habaita Let's go home. It is so perfect. Of all the things they could have said, there were it's like it's like biblical. (laughs) It's like so perfect, it's like a divine statement. He could have said, stay down, (laughs) duck. (laughs) Uh, We came to save you. That would be nice. We love you. Uh Oh, 
let's go home. Nothing more powerful than that. So the word home and the word mine, love becomes like candy compared to that. So when a man is married with intimacy, they've bonded because they're able to put away all things and just have each other. So when a man comes home, he is exactly where he is supposed to be. That feels good. He will do exactly what he's supposed to be doing. And he is with the person that he is supposed to be with. Isn't that a magical moment? When's the last time you felt like you were exactly where you needed to be, doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing with the right person for you? That's... Mothers sometimes have that feeling when the baby falls asleep. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Couldn't be better. But let's put it in a little different... When you are where you belong, there's no place else you'd rather be. When you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, there's nothing else you'd rather be doing. And when you're with the person that belongs with you, then you don't, there's no one else you would rather be with. Now, that is the most powerful, heavenly experience a human being is capable of. I am, I am, and I don't want to be anywhere else. I'm doing, I don't want to do anything else. And I'm with the person, I don't want any. That's heaven. That really is heaven. A soul goes back to being a soul. What's so great about it? He's home. The soul in the body is not home. But when the soul goes back to heaven, it, it's such a pleasure. What's the pleasure? I'm home. I'm where I belong, doing what I'm supposed to be doing with the souls that I'm supposed to be with. It's just perfect. Coming home should feel that way. Let's take a minute for a commercial here. It's very sad that almost anywhere you go and you walk into a synagogue or you walk into a shul, you don't feel at home. You feel uncomfortable. Do they sit now? Do they stand now? Do they would? You walk into a Chabad house. You feel at home. The Rebbe invented or created this phenomenon, and it's it's amazing how well it works. Don't start a synagogue. Start a house, a Chabad house. A house is a place where people feel comfortable. Do they read the Torah? If they have a Torah and they want to read the Torah, they'll read the Torah. But it's their house. Do they have a minion? Sometimes yes, sometimes not. The new shliach to Iceland? I don't think he's going to have a minion for a long time. <laughs> That's not the point. He is home for the Jews who come and who, Jews who are there. So that feeling of being home, that's what a marriage is supposed to feel like. You walk into your house, that's, that's the feeling. You are home. And what creates that is the intimacy in the bedroom. If it's not a thing, if it's not a... a if it's not a performance, if there's no question of how was it, by the way, don't ever ask that. It's so insulting. First of all, there was no it. Who are you calling an it? Secondly, you need to ask, where were you when it happened? You weren't there? You see, sex separates if it's an event, a performance, then it separates you. And you have to ask because you were in your world, your, part, your spouse was in another world, and now you have to compare. 
with intimacy, there's nothing to compare. We were with each other, we blocked everything out, and we merged. I'm not alone in the world. So imagine, according to the Torah, all intimacy must be in the dark. There must be no sounds or distractions, and you're not supposed to talk. You get the picture. You see nothing, you hear nothing, and you say nothing. So where is your mind? Where is your heart? You're bonding. If you see something, it's a distraction. If you hear something, it's a distraction. And if you say something, it's a distraction. But if you close all that off, you will not be alone in the world. Maybe you'll want to be, but that's a different story. <laughs> that's a whole nother question. Now, it is absolutely amazing, like in the story of the, uh, the woman with the special children, it's amazing what that does for kids. How welcomed children feel when the parents create them out of intimacy and not out of a performance. It's amazing. And I think it's safe to say that all of us sitting here were born with those benefits because that was before the world went crazy. When parents really did merge with each other. So we always say, our grandparents, their marriage was real. They never got divorced. There was no divorce. And everybody says, yeah, there was no divorce, but they were pretty miserable. <laughs> they weren't happy. Divorce wasn't popular, so they were stuck with each other. Real, the real secret is when they got married all they wanted was to have each other. The things about each other they didn't like so much. <laughs> so they argued about it and they criticized each other and they bickered, why can't you be like my mother? Why do you have to be like your mother? <laughs> it was all about things. So you say to them, if you don't like anything about your spouse, why don't you divorce her? Divorce her? Are you crazy? See, and we're trying to do the exact opposite. I don't know why I need her, but I like everything about her. So if we get into an argument, it's not about the things, it's about you. That's not good. Much better to do it like our grandparents. You belong. You are my life. The things about you, eh. There's always something to complain about. Something to complain about. But never you. So this is the secret that we learned from God himself. Does God need anything from us? He needs nothing. Just us. Not something about us. That's the secret of Judaism. If you need me and not something from me, because you have what you need. All you need is me, and I'm not available. What are you missing? It's a trick question. Try this again. All you need is your husband or your wife. You don't need anything from her or from him, and she is not available. What are you missing? You're not missing a what. You're missing a who. You're not missing anything. She's missing. You don't have her. So when God gives us 613 mitzvot, we get the impression that these are the things he loves about us. We keep kosher, we keep Shabbos, we go to the mikveh, we go to a shul, we give tzedakah. He loves everything about us. Not true. He just wants us. But he doesn't want us far away. He wants us close to him. So since he keeps Shabbat, he wants us to be 
in Shabbat with him. Since he is holy, he wants us to be holy. In other words, he wants us with him, not far from him. But what does he want? Just us. It's an intimate relationship. And here's the most beautiful part of the whole thing. What if he really needs us and nothing from us and we're not available? We're not cooperating. We're fablungit. Does he not need us? Imagine you're sitting at the Shabbos table and your children don't come to the table. So you don't need them anymore? A Jew who doesn't do a mitzvah, God doesn't need him anymore? Or does he need him just a little bit more? So you see, when a Jew comes back home, how powerful that is. Not because he's doing a mitzvah, but because he's home. That's perfect. What do you think? It's supposed to be a comedy. <laughs> Got a little too serious here for a minute. Huh? What do you think? Nothing? No love? <laughs> oh, by the way, is, is love at all necessary in a marriage? When someone is important because of the person, then all the things about her become important. Like the expression, you know, if somebody is threatening your child, the expression is, if you harm a single hair on her head, I will kill you. And people say, no, come on, don't get so dramatic. One hair, maybe even two. Since when are you so hung up on hair? It's not hair. It's her hair. So you don't need love from your husband. If you need love, then you're marrying the love. You're not marrying him. And besides, if you need love, you really should go back to your mother. And if she doesn't love you, that's a whole other problem. <laughs> but you don't need love from your husband. When he is your husband, you need his love. In the same way, you don't need love from your children. That's very unhealthy. If you need love for your children, you, you, need, you need to see somebody professionally. <laughs> An adult doesn't need love from a child. You need your child's love. Oh, yeah. Very much. So no mother ever said to her children, oh, you don't love me? It's okay. You're not the only children in the world. The neighbor's children love me. And they're cuter than you. <laughs> no mother ever said that. Because no mother needs love from her children. If you need love from your children and you don't get it from your children, then you go to the neighbor. If you need love from your spouse and you're not getting it from your spouse, got to have love. You don't have to have love. You need the love of those who are important in your life. Because they're important, not because love is important. And if they are important in your life, then even a hair on their head is as important as their love. Why? Because it's their hair. Everybody else's hair you can have. <laughs> I don't care about hair. So do you love your spouse? So remember what Tevya, remember that conversation on Fiddler on the Roof? Tevya asks Golda, do you love me? And Golda says, for 25 years I've washed your clothes, made your meals. <laughs> He's asking about love. And she sings him a song about laundry and about... She's telling him, 
exactly what she needs to say. She's saying, for 25 years, I gave me, myself, to you. All you're thinking about is love? What does it mean, do I love you? Am I giving you my love? I gave you myself. If that's not love, then what is? So yes, love becomes very important because of who it is, not because of love itself. So here's a practical suggestion. Never say, I love you. It's a nasty little sentence because it begins with the word I. Any sentence that begins with I isn't, isn't going to end up in a good place. I is the first word. Love is the second word. You are the last word. It's a nasty sentence. It's almost like saying, I, well, you know, I'm me. I'll always be, I'm, I'm me, that's for sure. Love, got to have love. You, well, if not you, somebody else. Not nice. So instead of saying, I love you, and start an argument, you ever notice? A husband says, I love you. What does the wife say? I love you. See, they're arguing already. He wants to say something about himself. He says three words. She changes the subject. Now we're talking about her. It's not nice. Anyway, if, a, if your husband does say, I love you, he's trying to talk about himself, and it's not easy for a man. Don't change the subject. Don't say, okay, enough about you. Now let's talk about me. <laughs> Don't do that. Stay on the subject. Your husband says, I love you. He's talking about himself. Continue talking about him. For example, when he says, I love you, you should say, wow, you have such good taste in women. So keep it about him. <laughs> Instead of saying, I love you, what we really mean to say is, you I love. You. You I love. You I care about every hair on your head. You I get very upset if you're not happy. You make me crazy because you're you. So you I love. Otherwise, I wouldn't love you. But because it's you, the love becomes important. Because it's you, respect becomes important. Because it's you, everything that I should not be thinking about has suddenly become important. But if you start with the things, you'll never get to the person. So let's not be alone in the world. We are married to the person we're supposed to be with. Just don't let things get in the way. Get things out of the way and you will become a real unit, unified. You'll never feel alone. Still no questions? Yeah. Ah. All the poets in history have been trying to define what love is. One of the definitions, I'm not sure it's the only one, one of the definitions of love is a desire for closeness. There are certain people that are attractive to you. That attraction is like wetting your appetite. You want more closeness. And the magic of a marriage, when you do it right, is that no matter how close you are, you want more. That's love. We're close, and I want to be closer. Chocolate makes me feel good, so I want more. If it didn't make me feel good, I wouldn't want any more. So there's something about you that was attractive, that was appealing. I want more. So when you let things get in the way, it blocks that movement. Love is not a condition. It's an ambition to get closer. 
a man and a woman getting closer is almost a, is almost magic because you know men are from Mars and women are from Venus so there's such a great distance to overcome that it makes the love more intense like you know you have to travel a great distance you try a lot harder so the distance actually makes us want it more that's the love but those moments when we are completely bonded that's why we want more. We want more of that. Wanting more of that is love. Make sense? What happens when you're married 60 years and you don't want any more of that? Because you can't get any closer then instead of being the love of your life, your spouse becomes the pleasure of your life. Pleasure is not a pursuit. You don't run after pleasure. Because if you have to run after it, it's not a pleasure. <laughs> Running after pleasure is misery. When you have the pleasure, it's pleasure. So when you've become really one, inseparable, you don't have to run anymore. Now you just have the pleasure of your life. And that's why they can't live without each other. Yes? How can we balance children into this equation without obsessing children staying together? Because they always want to their attention. Children obviously are a great blessing. But they can come between husband and wife. And it's important that the devotion to the child does not in any way compete with the devotion to each other. In a nasty, obviously, when things get nasty between a husband and wife, the children are a very convenient excuse. So when you have a difference of opinion on how to raise the children, and that becomes the issue, it, co it can destroy everything. Parents have to know, and children have to know, that the marriage comes first. That's not bad for the children, that's good for the children. It's interesting. God says, therefore you should leave your mother and father, cleave to your wife, and become one. To become one, you cleave to your wife. Why can't you become one with your father or with your mother? There are some, some people have good relationship with their parents. Why can't you be one? In other words, if you're not one with your spouse, you feel alone in the world. But you have a father, you have a mother, why are you alone? Because to your mother and father, you're not number one, you're number three they have each other and that's how it should be with your children you're not one with your children they are not number one they're number three four five six seven eight nine and ten because you have each other so children need to know and it's to their benefit to know that the marriage comes first because that's a oneness that you don't even have with your children We always worry if the children have to feel like they're number one. Mm -mm. It's a whole other subject. We'll talk about it in the course of the weekend. But children need to know that their parents are number one. And then they're healthier children. It's a favor to them. But when parents start uh, being distracted by the children, distracted from each other, it's not good for each other, and it's not good for the children. No happens? Pleasure talking to you. Pleasure being here. We'll see you again um, tomorrow. Why not?